For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. I recorded an intro to this episode on Sunday morning of March the 6th, but I'm going to do it again now on the morning that we publish, which is Wednesday the 9th of March 2022. Because after so little from fashion in response to the war in Ukraine at the time of recording, which was just on Saturday, which is March the 5th, I think we really do need to mention Demna's very moving statement at the Balenciaga show in Paris on Sunday evening. Now, he is Georgian and he talked about how what had happened in his own country with in conflict with Russia back in 1993 had stayed with him. And he used the words a forever refugee and said that the fear and the desperation and the realization that no one wants you is something that stays with you when you're forced to flee your home country. And he also talked about the importance of love and compassion and taking a stand while saying how tricky it was to do a fashion show at a time like this. But he decided not to cancel even though, and I quote, he said, fashion loses its relevance, its actual right to exist, and Fashion Week feels like some kind of absurdity. But even despite that, he decided to use his Balenciaga runway as a place to express resistance. And we'll share some images from the show so you can check it out. But for context, in this interview, you'll hear my guest reference how Balenciaga, which has so many Instagram followers, so a big reach, it's like 13 million or something, wiped its whole historic feed in the run-up to the show to leave just one blue and yellow square and a note that the brand was donating to the UN World Food Programme to support Ukrainian refugees. Okay, what's happened? On February the 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine. Within days, the UN was reporting that more than a million people had fled the country. And the news headlines were, and still are, of course, full of this conflict. But it was also Fashion Month. So there was another kind of news in my feed. The very same morning that the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, declared his war, sending in tanks and launching missile strikes on Ukrainian cities, hitting apartment buildings and killing civilians and women and kids was also the first day of Milan Fashion Week. And as the violence continued, so did Fashion Month as the Paris shows rolled through. As a result, fashion's Instagram feeds have been this very unsettling mix of commentary on Kim Kardashian's outfits and blue and yellow street style looks inspired by the Ukrainian flag. And of course, many brands and others using social media to call for action. Now, on March the 1st, Vogue Ukraine posted, and they said, in the wake of unprecedented military aggression from the Russian Federation and the growing humanitarian crisis in Ukraine, Vogue Ukraine urges all international fashion and luxury companies to basically stop selling in the aggressor's market effective immediately. And they particularly appealed to the major players who also are Vogue partners. So they were tagging the likes of LVMH and Caring and Prada and Chanel. These measures, they said, should apply to brands who sell fashion goods or distribute them, accessories, fine jewellery and watches, all luxury lifestyle products into the Russian market. 
And they said, showing your conscience and choosing humanity over monetary benefits is the only reasonable stand you can take in confronting the violent behavior of Russia. Moreover, Vogue Ukraine appeals to the global fashion industry not to keep silence during these dark times, they said. Vogue Russia also used Instagram to call for peace. On February the 24th, they posted the vintage cover of the October 1945 Vogue issue. It was called the Peace and Reconstruction issue. And they followed that with mostly images of paintings of doves. So, you know, obviously many Russians do not support this war. Now, what role does fashion have here? Fashion's always been political because of its money. It's a massive industry, right? It's important. But also because it mirrors our times. What we wear is affected by what is going on around us. And in recent years, perhaps because of its growing power on social media, in pop culture, the pressure on fashion to stand for something and use its influence for good has grown. We are increasingly looking to brands to make their values clear. We want them to demonstrate that they reflect our values on things like climate action, or diversity and inclusion. And, you know, this is not a simple process. We've seen many brands misstep and get it wrong. And so maybe it is easier to say nothing, to hope that no one notices if you don't weigh in. And, you know, certainly there are areas that some brands should stay out of, not least because it has to come from an authentic place. It's jarring to see brands perform activism when that feels cynical. Saying you care about something is not the same as doing something about it. But how should fashion respond to war? What is our moral obligation? Why do we comment on some conflicts but not others? And beyond a social media post, how can an industry like fashion contribute meaningfully? And when does this become simply, as my guest today puts it, common sense or an expression of our common humanity? He is the fashion director of Vogue Ukraine, Venya Brikalin, and I'm grateful to him for joining us to share his story and perspective. One last thing, what can you do? There's a website Venya's asked me to share. It's called Real Ways You Can Help Ukraine as a Foreigner, and we'll link to it in the episode description. You can also find it with all the other links and handles in our show notes on thewardrobecrisis.com. I'm on Instagram, as you know, at Mrs. Press, and the show is at The Wardrobe Crisis. But if you just want to search for it now, it is how, spelt out, dash two, dash help, dash Ukraine, dash now, dot super, dot site. And it's a crowdfunded info platform with a great list of where to donate, how to send humanitarian supplies, join protests, and even stuff around how you can volunteer. Plus, there's a lot of great up-to-date information on there with a whole bunch of local tips specific to different countries. Okay, now let's hear from Venya Brikalin, Fashion Director of Ukrainian Vogue. Venya Brikalin, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me at short notice for the Wardrobe Crisis podcast. I'm, I'm grateful that you're making the time to tell this important story. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me and thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk. Okay, I want to begin by asking you to tell us where you are now. So I'm in Paris, in a lovely hotel in Saint-Germain. <laughs> that's part of my business trip that's been scheduled way advanced and, you know, before all things started happening and unrolling. So I'm not sure how long I'm here. 
but I mean, that's not my main concern at the moment. If you look out the window, what do you see? It's a really tiny, cozy street. But I have to tell you something every time someone asks me like how I'm feeling and how I'm doing and whether I'm okay. I just caught myself always, you know, putting my eyes into the sky and being frankly grateful that nothing is falling from that. You know what I mean? Mm. It's In the end of the day, it's as basic as that. Mm. Can you tell us where you were on February the 24th when Russia invaded Ukraine? Yeah, it's quite a miracle, to be honest with you. And my trip was scheduled for the 23rd because the shows in Milan started on the 24th. And usually I take a morning flight to get to Milan. And we, when we booked this, it was very last minute because uh, we were kind of concerned of whether going to shows or not going to shows, you know, the optics of it. And the usual tickets were kind of booked out already. And my colleague who's taking care of these things, she just found this flight that was scheduled around 11 p.m. on the 23rd, which was like, okay, I can, you know, just come to Milan, sleep over and start doing my work. So I took that plane. And frankly, I remember looking at that departure timetable in, in Barispas, which is like the main airport in the country. And it was very calm there. It feels disturbing, you know. And I remember looking at the timetable and I think there were like just only one or two flights that night after the one that I was having. And all the others were scheduled for the early morning. It was started like at 5 a.m. And, and I was like, wow, that's kind of strange. So I came to Milan at night. I checked into in my room and at some point, it was, I remember this vividly, at 3 a.m., I was like looking through my phone and I found this article which said that uh, the American intelligence were reporting that probably uh, Russians going to start the operation at 5 a.m. And I texted my friend in Kiev who, for some reason, was not sleeping. And I said, like, baby, you know, I think something bad's going to happen. And she was really alert. She immediately jumped in the car, got to the st gas station to refill it. And we chatted a bit. And then I zoned out, you know, like went to bed. I woke up at seven and I had like 12 messages on my phone. And even without opening them, I knew what's, what's happening. So, uh, you know, the, the, the girl that booked those tickets, she, I don't know, like maybe she eventually saved my life. Wow. Just tell us where you live and work. I'm based in Kiev. The capital city of Ukraine, uh, the biggest city of Ukraine. This is where our offices are. This is where you know all my friends have been. This is the city that's been under you know constant attack. Actually, the thing is like the context of all of this is that obviously we as Ukrainians we kind of knew we saw something bad coming. You know, we had all the intelligence were reporting that you know Russian military was around the borders. It was something that people knew for like weeks, if not months. And we were pretty aware that you know that when Russians circle you with, with their military, it's not a good sign, of course. And and also the sense of that, it was really in the air the last week, probably, you know, people really started feeling that even though like we are very optimistic in that way, we know a lot of people are saying, oh, this is not going to happen, you know, like it can't be, it doesn't make any sense. And I still hear that from my, you know, international friends, because they really can't believe the ruthlessness of it, you know, and the 
But I would say, like, you know, the, the worst thing, apart from that being just so massive, is that, you know, the, the cynicism of it is that it's really launched across the country at the very moment. My family is in Odessa, which is the southern part, oh. and it really was synchronized across all the major cities. And now people trying to flee and people trying to find shelter and moving across the country. But the, the reality is that there's no one safe place there. You know, you just you can't say, okay, so this is the area where, where all the violence is happening and this is where you can feel safe. You can't feel safe anywhere. God, I will just say that we're recording this on Saturday, March the 5th. And so for people listening later on, listening back over this, on the 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine. On Wednesday, there were reports of really heavy heavy attacks on Kiev again during the night. On Friday, there were reports of airstrikes or an airstrike like six miles out of the city in a rural residential area. We know people are trying to leave. So you be aware of watching all of this on the news. But if you're listening back to this later, we're having this conversation on the 5th of March. It's very, I know you said that the run up to this has obviously been a long time, but this is very fresh and scary right now, isn't it? It is. Of course it is. The speed of it, you know, the velocity of how aggressive they are. And obviously you can see that the Russians never expected the kind of resistance that they're getting. And that gets them even, even more aggressive, you know, and even more determined. So this does this violence and shelling across civilian objects, you know, like it's really about war crimes now. I don't want to go into details. I'm sure you can find it on the news, but it's really... I mean, that's inhumane on, on, on every level. Would I be able to ask you about what you're hearing from friends? We're going to talk, I should just say to listeners, we're lucky here to be here with Venya. We're going to talk about fashion because that's what this podcast is. So we can't go into the depth of everything surrounding the political situation here. But I, I do just want to ask you about what's happening with people you know, perhaps people in fashion and yeah. I don't know, your neighbours, your family. What are they telling you? Well, I think that people are extremely brave and stoic, and that's part of our you know, national identity also, is that people are trying to be optimistic. I'm not sure whether it's the right word in this context, but I can't think of any now. I would give you like a small example from my colleagues, because we're all in touch, and our team, our online team is still doing their job, which is amazing and heroic. Are they? And are they at work? They're not at work. I mean, obviously, you can't go to work because you can't physically. Uh, it's, it's very dangerous. But everyone who is safe, uh, they work remotely. And obviously, we're not doing any fashion uh, content now. It's all about, you know, humanitarian help and donations. The closest you can get to fashion content is how brands and celebrities support Ukraine. We feel it's important to showcase that. But... I'll just give you two instances. One is like our culture editor, because one of the biggest news outlets, they reached out to me and they were looking into stories from Ukrainians and they were asking like to help them to find, you know, people across the art scene who would be good to speak to. So I talked to my editor of, um, who, who does all the culture uh, stuff on uh, at Vogue and her husband is a, is a doctor. So they are in Kiev and he works on a pretty much on a front line helping, you know, the helping victims 
and she's staying there literally in a shelter and having to hide in the basement every time there's alarm going on and she briefly and people like don't go into details you know you just because they don't you know because they don't but what she mentioned to me is that you know she had like an explosion like literally in front of her house and she saw sorry like dead bodies there and that's the reality of it and then she's still doing her job she's still talking to people she's still pulling out putting out the stories the other girl that that is our market editor and who eventually like, takes care of my schedule, you know, and the show invitations. And obviously now, because like we're kind of, the communication is kind of paralyzed. Like I sometimes don't get the information from, from her. And every time I need to ask something and I, I really avoid that it's really like just origin matter because like yesterday I was reaching out, we would need to find, you know, the context of the brand to ask them to donate to the military. And that's something we're to work on right now. But every time I have to just text her, I need to second guess because, you know, I want to make sure that she's physically safe before, you know, getting to any kind of request. And people are trying to move. And like, you know, like when you travel from one town to another, you can probably would need to take like, five different cars or eight different cars, you know, or like walk for kilometers, you know, just in the field, whatever it is. It's really, it's that reality that they're living now. I asked you before, but I, I would like you to tell us how you're doing. You were saying to me that you wake up and, that's a, I mean, imagine the first thing you think is, I need to check the phone, need to see what's happened. And then yeah. loads of messages, right? I would say, yeah, I think that, the, that you know, the, the waking up is the worst part of your day because you don't know what to expect because lots of you know most of the strikes and attacks are happening at night so the, the very moment you wake up you kind of okay so let's face it now um yeah i think that it's it's true for everyone people can't sleep mm. because it's just you know especially like since the night is usually the most dangerous part of, of, of the day so you want to make sure that you're in touch with people is it the case that now men between the ages of 18 and, I don't know, 60. is it 50, 60, are not 60. allowed to leave the country? Uh, well, actually, it's like you, it's obligatory sort of military responsibility, yes, which is kind of the usual thing to, to do in these circumstances. So I heard the reports, you know, like, because our state railway system is trying to put as many trains, you know, to, to get people out of the country, the one who want to evacuate. And people, you can't believe it, people are really like standing for hours and hours inside the train cars because nobody can sit to save space. Children are standing, you know, people are standing, but they have to, they only allow children and women on that train, on that cars, men are not allowed. Because that's the thing, like they prioritize saving Mm -hmm. women and kids. So are you going back in two days? I mean, what do you do? That's really something that I don't know. And when I was still was in Milan, and actually I was, I had like a return ticket to, to Kiev for last Sunday. And eventually my team emailed me that that ticket was cancelled by the airline because obviously, you know, so the civilian, you know, flights were cancelled. So they said like, go to Paris for now. And then we, we see how we, how we manage that. So since I'm on my trip, on behalf of Vogue, I think that's a decision that was going that we would gonna have collectively between my team and I. 
But I'd love you to just tell us a little bit about Vogue Ukraine. When did it start? 2012? The next March is supposed to be our 10th year anniversary. So the team launched in September 2012. The first debut issue was the March of 2013. Why don't you tell us how you became a fashion editor and a bit about your background? Oh, yeah, well, that's... They would need a lot of time. <laughs> but to put it really shortly, I was studying economics in the uni. Were you? Yeah, I think that I didn't quite make a right choice in terms of choosing the, the university. So um, the studying there was pretty mediocre, to be honest. And I got kind of lazy and not motivated. And at that point, for some reason, I don't know really why, I started to you know, looking at style.com. It was the style.com back then, not Vogue.com. And I just started reading about shows, you know, and what fascinated me was not exactly the clothes, but the conversations around the clothes, you know, the, the review reports that they would post. And also that was the time where there was no social media, there was no Instagram, there was no live broadcast. So you really still had to wait for a show to go online, which was usually the next day. There was no instant access to, to fashion content. So that was very intriguing. Yeah, and I was just like, reading religiously everything I could, you know, uh, reading these amazing journalists and critics. And after, th I think, three years of doing so, uh, in some really strange move, I just called a local fashion magazine in Odessa in Ukraine and just said, like, maybe I can come and be of help. And eventually, because there was pretty much no one there, I started writing and <laughs> styling a bit. And yeah, fast forward to now. <laughs> when I started, we used to have to wait for the fashion director to come back from the shows. And mm. then she would give us like a PowerPoint presentation and show us pictures and be like, Calvin Klein was all white. You know, I think that's what made it very precious. And also, I think this is, I mean, you can see like even the critique has changed because people would go on at length to describe, you know, the fabrication, the construction, the folds on, on a dress, you know, the beading or whatever it was. And obviously now, because you can see all those images before you can read about that, there's no need to do that. So fashion critique gravitated, moved to, you know, who is sitting in front row or, you know, what the setup was or, you know, all those things. But tell us a little bit about the Ukrainian fashion scene. And I'm interested to know about designers there. I wanted to raise Vitakin because I feel like if you don't know much about Ukrainian fashion or you're not very focused on emerging designers, maybe that's what you think about, like folkloric. Yeah. I, I was saying regards to Vita, who I love and who I'm, I think is, I mean, she's a very unique woman herself, you know, and um, when you're lucky to talk to her, she's pretty brilliant. But I would say, just to rephrase it a bit, maybe if you, if you don't know what Ukrainian fashion is, because of it, you must probably have seen it, even without realizing that you ever you ever seen it. Because her collections have got such a huge impact. Oh well, also because so many fast fashion joints knock them off. Yeah, but also like I mean, even the uh, big brands have been inspired by the success, and you could see, you know, like they would do their research in, in the direction of of you know of, of Ukrainian national costume and all our traditional techniques. The, the scene is very 
diverse in a way that, you know, there are people who gravitate to this kind of Belgian Oster look. There are people who gravitate to these Vavavum, you know, party dresses, lots of, you know, sequins and feathers and stuff. There are people who are doing very minimalist, as I say, like Kevin Klein, all white, beautiful pieces. I can't, I wouldn't say that there's one aesthetics there, but I would have to say, I think, if you, t- if you ask me about the scene, I will always say that, you know, Ukrainian designers have always worked, you know, not because of the circumstances, but opposing them. We've never had any kind of government support for, for the industry. We never had big ecosystem the way, for example, you know, the British fashion operates or even Belgian, in the, you know, Belgian designers show much, so much support to, to each other. We don't have one big school there that can produce you know, and kind of groom this talent. So if you look into the biographies, most of the designers are either self-taught or have very basic training, but they're very, in a way, they're, they're quite badass, I think, and they've achieved a lot. I mean, when you look, I mean, pretty much every major online retailer has a Ukrainian designer, and, you know, in, in, in the, on their stock list. Pretty much every department store I can think of sell Ukrainian designers. So... I would say like there's between, I would probably say there's a dozen of brands that are really operating on an international level where you can say, okay, this is a sustainable business. Obviously, Vitakin is an amazing example of, you know, of how you can be creative and extremely successful as a business. Sleeper is a great example. This is like two girls who have been, who were, they're like ex-editors and they just launched, they had like $2,000 budget uh, launching her, their brand uh, of um, sleepwear. And now they're a massive hit. They were, you know, on the Forbes under 30 list and being a, a great success. There's Anna October and Anton Belinsky who were shortlisted for the Vimesh Prize and are now with the Julie. Pascal also being supported by a VMH Prize in these circumstances. And I just met Anna. She managed she managed to come to Paris. She spent one week in cars and all those things just to get through. She was she and her friend they got under airstrikes. So she basically heard, you know, saw and heard all the bombing. Yeah. But luckily for her, she's got her collection now in Paris because the collection came from New York, which means that she, she shipped it before that. And now she's showing in a showroom in Paris. And I mean, these are the stories that are now part of their, you know, history. Venya, you and I got in contact because I read an interview that you had done with the Evening Standard. And in that interview, you'd said, and I'm going to read it out, you'd said, obviously, I'm very privileged being here in Milan. It was during Milan Fashion Week. I'm at Fashion Week and my friends are sleeping in parking lots for safety. And you said, given your circumstances that you find yourself in by chance, you're in this unique position to tell your story. And you also mentioned that at that time, there hadn't been a great deal of outreach from media or from magazines to see what your perspective was. And I, I messaged you on Instagram and asked you if you would talk to me and you said yes. So thank you for that. But I, I want to talk about that, like this feeling of an obligation to use this chance, really. It's a chance that you're there, isn't it, at this time when so many of the people in you, that you care about are not there and you've got to do something. You can't just turn up to Prada and do nothing. I mean, what do you do? Talk to me about that. 
Well, I do turn to Prada, though. I'm doing quite a very few shows, to be honest with you, because I don't have a lot of emotional capacity for that right now, to be honest. But also, you know, time is scarce. I mean, you're always on the phone. You're always talking to people. You're always trying to help some, you know, you're dealing with something. So you kind of have to prioritize things. I have to say, of course, I mean, and that was my decision why I chose to come to Milan and now I'm in Paris first place. This is my job as well. And going to shows now, I have to admit, it's not about clothes that much and it's not about trends, but, you know, me being an editor and eventually and being a journalist is also, I'm kind of working on a story myself. And just to see what conversations are, you know, how they, how brands react, how they navigate, how they deal the whole situation. And, you know, I've been quite vocal about a few things happening in, 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 in this fashion week and some things that I chose not to talk publicly, you know, and, but I mean, it's really interesting to be here as well, you know, just as just sharing our story, but also for me to observe how the business how, how the industry re- reacts to it, how people react to it, what they say and how, whether they choose to act. That's also part of my job. And other than that, of course, which kind of this something that I am doing right now is like talking to you and seeing other journalists and um, helping them, you know, with their stories is that I really can, sh- I hope that I can share you know, the information that's important and and of use for you guys and also to give our perspective on things because, you know, obviously media also choose to, you know, the narratives that they create, they don't exactly reflect the reality for better or worse. So I think for us having our voice, that's important. And I'm not sure how powerful that is, but I really hope that it contributes to people react to this do, do you think i mean there's been headlines that fashion is being tone deaf and of course you can see this disconnect i shared with you we'll share mm-hmm. a link in the show notes a story that vanessa friedman wrote in the new york times it was right after the moschino show which was right after the invasion and you know she was trying to get to grips with this saying it's very strange and everyone yeah. backstage was feeling that too it's not like they didn't feel it but yeah. that everyone was thinking and i, I think she also echoes that it was obviously a very different circumstance, but still the feeling when COVID happened two years ago at this time, should mm-hmm. you be doing this? What are we doing? Why are we making theatrics? Why are we sending models down the runway in whatever fantasy gown or in, you know, in Jeremy Scott's case, crazy, surreal harp dress? Why are we doing this when the world's falling apart? You know, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a real tension yeah. with just trying to figure out sh- – what is the right thing to do? Is it, obviously it makes sense to keep working. You're working as your job, but how do you deal with that tension? And, and I suppose my question is, has fashion been turned deaf on this? I would say that Milan has been a disaster in that sense. I'd really do. And when you look at the schedule of the Milan Fashion Week, there are quite a few brands that, you know, that are celebrated for being socially and politically aware and they obviously haven't been it took most of them a week maybe to start reacting to what's going on 
I think with Paris, what we're seeing now is it's picking up little by little, day by day. So in a way, I'm more hopeful. And also, I was just thinking this morning when I knew that we're going to have this conversation is, you know, the great thing in the end of the day is I'm adding up all that money that the brands are now donating. And that's a good change. And that's meaningful. And I think that's, that's of help. And brands showing their stance, you know, like showing their position in this situation. I'm not as excited on that front, to be honest with you, because I think that if you if you look at it, you know, it's the play word, how people choose to really address it as a humanitarian conflict or, you know, like uh, not many of them have had the audacity and actually, you know, the courage to call it what it is. You know, when you look at all the statements, it almost never mentions war. It almost never mentions, you know, Russia as, as, as an aggressor. So I find that interesting also to, mm. to investigate. What I want to say, I think, no, I don't think that fashion shows should be cancelled. I think when we think about, you know, the industry and how much money these events cost and how much money these events eventually help to generate and how many jobs people have because of that. I think it would be kind of ridiculous to expect that to get cancelled. Mm. But I do think that people could have made much better job in checking on how to be sensible and reasonable and really in tune with the context of what's going on. We did see Armani stage his show in silence with no soundtrack, no music to say a sort of silent protest. What did you think of that? Actually, a, someone from his PR team, they messaged me and said, like, there's got to be something in the show. And I've been, I've been really, you know, like I spent Milan really not believing my eyes, to be honest with you. I could not believe how people can just pretend that nothing's happening even though everyone in the world was happening. I mean, look at your own Instagram feed. You can't, you know, there's going to be like shoes and bags and business as always, but as usual, but then you're going to see the airstrikes, you know, you're going to see people in blood. I mean, that's, I think that's the reality from for every one of us right now, right? And I have to say, I think that it's very, apart from, you know, just a moral question of how you choose not to notice certain things. I think that's a very bizarre way of doing business. I don't think that modern companies, modern corporate world, have the liberty to say, okay, we live in a bubble, you know, there's a fantasy going on here and we don't care about what's going on. So, sorry, uh, going to a money show, I, I went and that was really gracious and it was very beautiful. And he got a stand innovation for that, which, you know, it's very rare uh, because people really felt emotional. I think they also felt grateful because that helps, I mean, as a collective experience that also helps people to reflect, you know, and as you say, like when you sit in the show and you feel uncomfortable for being there. So he kind of gave people space and opportunity to reflect on that. And let's be honest, I mean, as that's a very simple thing. There was a very simple thing to do. He just had to turn the music off, you know, mm. and that sent a, such a nice message. And I have to say I think, you know, it really shows that it takes a, I, I checked, he's 87-year-old. It takes a 87-year-old designer to show the industry how it's done. I think that's also kind of telling. 
Mm. Okay, this is quite a difficult question and I, I was in two minds as to whether to ask you, but I do want to mention it and see what you think. Have you heard some of the commentary around the Western media coverage of the crisis? You know, there's a CBS foreign correspondent who said something like, it's not what you'd expect in a civilized country. And then there's commentary around how heartbreaking it is to see refugees because they look like us. Um, I guess it's also around we don't start asking if a fashion week should be cancelled when war happens in Palestine or in Syria. And I don't know, it is hard to ask you this because it's so personal. You're in the middle of it. But what's your take on that? Can you even think about that right now? What do you think? Mm. I think that these are really valid questions to ask, to be honest, because it all boils down to one very basic thing, a value of human life and how we choose that some lives are more worthy than the others. And answering that, I think that we should definitely care the same. And obviously our industry has failed in that sense, you know, on a large scale. The only thing that I think uh, why maybe there's more attention to Ukraine than to other conflicts is that it's right in front of you yeah. in terms of geographically so people probably relate to it more because i mean that's in europe and let's think about this for a moment generations of europeans have been raised with the absolute belief that nothing like the world war ii could happen with them or someone they knew i mean i still i'm talking to people and they just they can't grasp you know because their system there's no such scenario and it's just mm -hmm. there you know like when you look at the footage of a nuclear plant being bombed right in the center of the year because ukraine in geographical sense we are in this in the heart of europe so i think that's also part of why it's so it's so hurtful to people because this is something that you can't i mean the, the way that we i mean even my generation i mean I have to tell all of my friends, I mean, I was born in 1987, you know, on the back of still of that kind of uh, mythology for, you know, great Soviet heritage. And because we were part of the Soviet Union back then, I was born in the Soviet Union and on the kind of remnants of that, but still. And you have to understand that when we have a family dinner, one of the toasts would be, let's drink to never have war. And for us, it's distilled in our psyche that, you know, we can handle whatever it is, you know, corruption, you know, economical disaster, poverty, whatever it is, you know. But I'm telling this and I really have like goosebumps because to me that's, you know, that's a very sensitive thing. But we were raised that you should absolutely try to avoid war. Yeah. And this is what's happening in the center of Europe at this very moment as we speak. Thank you. Let's talk about what is being done in order to try to pressure Russia to back off in terms of sanctions. Again, I don't want to get into the big picture of the politics here, just regarding fashion. We've seen some brands in the last few days, couple of days, big brands, Hermes, Chanel, LVMH, Caring, <laughs> say that they're temporarily closing stores in Russia. Mm -hmm. We've seen, obviously, big non-fashion brands do this a little bit earlier. Apple, 
but what do you think fashion should be or could be doing? Do you feel equipped to answer that question? What's your take on this? Yeah, I've got a good training over this week, you know, talking to people so I can go there point by point. I think there's really like three things that every company should be doing right now. First thing is really just admitting that, you know, and not trying to avoid this conversation and pretend it's not it's not happening and pretend we're still going on about shoes and bags, you know, and the inspiration of the season. Uh, so I think just to admit to this being our reality, that's the first step. Next step is, as I said earlier, calling it what it is, you know, not trying to sugarcoat it in any way, but just saying, okay, so this is a war and this is a war because of one country is attacking another country and these are innocent people that are dying. I think that's, again, for some reason, people are avoiding that conversation. I think that brands should really be doing what they are doing right now is uh, donating. I mean, we are a rich industry and you know how people spend money on very frivolous things here. You know, uh, these expensive shows outside of fashion capitalists. I mean, we're not going to go into that examples, but I think that they really have the resources to help and any measurable help matters. I'm talking to really smaller independent brands, uh, you know, like I just texted uh, Colville yesterday and they are like, they're sending out blankets to Ukraine. You know, I'm now in talks with a big underwear brand where we are just actually asking them to donate underwear for male military, you know, for the army. So it's really like anyone can be of use in any capacity. I mean, it's amazing to see, you know, Ukrainian uh, flag being posted on Instagram, you know, or a message of, you know, support and prayers. That's that's absolutely amazing, but it's not enough. And the last thing is, I think, which is very important to address and what we've been advocating for. And we, may, you know, as Vogue Ukraine, we sent out a statement asking brands to hold their operations with Russia, which... Hopefully, last night we've seen, uh, over the, yesterday we've seen Chanel and Karen and LVMH taking this action. I think it's necessary. And I remember somebody on Instagram sent me a message saying like, okay, what, but why is, is it about clothes? You know, why do you care? Why do you attack? Like, in the end, there's going to be like clients that's going to suffer, which is also interesting, you know, connotation. I mean, how much of a suffer it's going to be if you're not going to immediately buy a Birkin bag. I mean, if that's what you'd call suffer, then I'm quite happy for you to have, you know, to, to live this kind of privileged life. But no, I think that since, I mean, fashion is a huge industry, we are, what, trillion euro. And apart from that being a political move, you know, and taking a stand, I think that it's also, I mean, any way we can slow down Russian economy now. I think this is the only way we can make people pay attention to what's happening in their own country and we can actually stop money being poured into their military. That's, I'm sorry, but it's really just killing our people. So as any other industry contributes, you know, we have this list of 
industries that's being put in their operations and hold. And you can look and it's everyone. It's airspace, it's technology, it's IT, it's food, it's cars, anything. And you know who were pretty much the last one to jump on that. Is that right? It's true. Yeah, that's us. On March the 1st, we saw one granary. And if listeners don't know what that is, it's a platform like a magazine that is for graduates, fashion graduates all over the world, but it's in London. And the editor is Ukrainian. She's Olya Kuryashuk. They published an open letter to the fashion industry and it's called Fashion Unites Against War. And more than 3,000 people apparently have now signed this, including designers like Christopher Kane, like... I think Angela Massoni signed it. The heads of the British Fashion Council and Swedish Fashion Council, photographers like Nick Knight. So lots and lots of people across the industry have signed this letter. And I like this line from it. So it's obviously condemning. We, the undersigned, strongly condemn Russia's invasion and stand together with Ukraine. But I do like this this last part of the letter where they're talking about the power of fashion and saying, fashion, I'm going to read out from it. In times of crisis, it's easy to dismiss fashion's power to call it superfluous or frivolous or non-essential. But our supply chains connect countries across the globe. Our media reaches masses of followers everywhere. And our shared language of creativity is universal. And they talk about being an industry bursting with talent and networks. Those tools can always improve the lives of people around us. And then the last line is, wherever you are, don't turn your back, don't close your eyes. I thought that was so powerful. And I want to just ask you, perhaps in closing, what you think about what we can do as individuals who want to show solidarity. Does it matter to you, Venya, to see someone on social media express their solidarity? Is it is it meaningless or does it make you feel like people care? And is that important? I do think that it's uh, important. I think that it would be bizarre for people not doing that. You know what I mean? I was looking at someone's Instagram grid just a couple of days ago, and there were like twirls and turns and, you know, and street style candidates and all those things. And there was not one mention because this person actively posts on Instagram. So my reasoning is, I think if you choose to share, you know, the food that you take, you know, the way your body looks, you know, the the way you dress, the way uh, which, what people you see. So pretty much all the details of your life. I'm not sure why taking this tragedy out of that. I mean, I have a really hard time people airbrushing their social presence where I say like, you know, I only post nice things, I only post things that are related to my job that help me monetize my talents and, you know, and my ego. So I think that it's only healthy to, to acknowledge what's happening. I know that Ukrainians really do appreciate, you know, the support they're getting from people, you know, from actors and from from and from designers as well. I think that when Balenciaga did this thing with posting on their account, I think that that was a bit of a oh, now we know that this industry, at least someone cares. It's not about, you know, it's not about me being going crazy, you know, thinking, oh, where's the where's the response? But it's really happening and also it was a bit of a watershed moment because i think that it really put everyone else in quite a questionable light i think 
So yeah, you should absolutely do that. But I would hope that people would also be proactive. So I don't I don't think that should be just, you know, oh, let's take the box and let's go to Kavya Kaspi and have a fancy dinner and forget about it. I mean, obviously you can have fancy dinners and you can you should be going to Kavya Kaspi if you if you're set out to be to, to go, but please don't forget what's going on and please act in any capacity that you can do. I mean, that's I think in the end of the day, but like I'm having this conversation the whole week, but in the end of the day, everything that we're talking about, it's really very common sense. It's very basic human knowledge. I, I really think it's quite simple to know how, you know, what to do. And we, we're not expecting, you know, the world to stop. We're not expecting, you know, to people, you know, just shut down their tents and say, okay, no shows for the time being. Of course not. But just to be sensible about it and just to be reasonable and as I said, like just to acknowledge that it's happening and call it for what it is. I think this is what every human being, you know, um, can and should be doing. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press. Because I love you Because I love you